So the main point is we look at these, these uh, verses here in, in uh, chapter 3, 6 through 12. The main point for us is that grace should provoke us to faithfulness. Grace should provoke us to faithfulness. And it's something we're going to get into in just a little bit, but, but to give you a basic understanding while you note-takers are writing this down is that, that we look at grace and we think, oh, Jesus forgives me. He forgives me for anything I do, anything I've done, anything I, I will do in the future. Like, I, I'm sure I'm going to mess up. So we just begin to say, well, I'm forgiven, so what's it really matter? But that's not the, the perspective that the Bible teaches us that we should have. It's, it's this never-ending, ever-flowing fountain of grace that should lead us to want to be faithful in our relationship with Christ. It shouldn't be the opposite. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be like, well, honey, I know that you're going to forgive me for not doing the dishes, and I know that we said we're, we're never going to use the D word in our marriage, so I'm just going to like... You gave into the covenant, so it really doesn't matter what happens between here until death do us part. And we all know that that would be a miserable relationship. You guys can like laugh, like that's not going on in my life, but it's something we battle with as humans because we're like, well, if we're in this really committed covenant relationship, then there can never really be a bad end game. It's always going to end up good, but, but your in-between at the very least is going to be miserable, and that's not what Christ has called us to do. It's not what Christ wants us to do. So grace should provoke us to faithfulness. And we've got three points we're going to drive that main point home with, and that's persistence, problem, and promise. Persistence, problem, and promise. First point is persistence. This is talking about the immutability of God. Can you all say immutability? immutability. Men, you better say that louder, and I'm saying that not because you're a man, but because you came to the study where we talked about immutability. Immutability means that God never changes. Like, he doesn't change. A good way to think about or understand it, as, as we talked about in our discussion, men, just a, a recap and a teaching point for all of us, is that, that God is a being, but we in our life are becoming. We've got to learn. We evolve. And hopefully we're evolving for the better. For us as Christians, our evolution rests in becoming more like Christ, not more like the world. You all thought I was going to go like some like science evolution there for a second. I'm talking about being conformed into the likeness of our Savior, not into the likeness of man. See, this is, this is the battle we've dealt with, with since the beginning of time when we saw the fall, is that we were created in the image and likeness of God, but we distorted that with our sin. But in Christ redeeming us by paying the price for us, is sanctifying us so that we would be more like Him here and now. God is persistent. He never changes. Look at verse 6. Let me back up. You're going to be looking up and down, right? Uh, I won't make you stand up and sit down like some churches, but you might be looking up and down a lot. Leading up to verse 6, so chapters 1 and 2 and the first little part of chapter 3, this is a strong rebuke to God's people who had fallen back into the sins of their ancestors a century before this. So he's teaching them to come back. And not only that, but he's giving practical examples. He's not just like blanketing, you all are sinning again. He's making it personal. He's pointing out the things that they're doing wrong and why it's wrong. Because God said, don't offer up blemished offerings. And what are you doing? So he's making it very practical for them. But here, we come to verse 6, which for us is something we've needed probably through this whole series is some kind of sense of comfort, which we always have in Christ Jesus. But here within this passage, in this text, in this book, we get the comfort we need 
And then we're going to get a little, um, couple punches after that, some jabs. But verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. And we get this even in the New Testament. When we read in Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1, verse 17, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Save that for later, another point. But it continues, Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't need to evolve. He's holy. He's called us to be holy as He is holy. So we shouldn't even be seeking a God that changes. If there's anything we need in this world, in this life, and coming out of last year is something that's constant, something that's firm and it's foundation, never changing, but always calling us to change to be like Him. He doesn't change. This should, this should be so comforting to us. Why? He says it here. Again, think about, don't just think about their life. Think about your life for a moment. Before I read any further into to verse 6, think about times where you felt like you weren't worthy or you were deserving to be consumed, deserving to be cast away from our mighty Savior, to never be placed in His presence, to never be placed and the fellowship of other believers. You felt like you weren't worthy. You felt like you couldn't keep up. Well, the immutability of God teaches us this. He, he's saying, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. This was a covenant people. Remember, this is not talking to the person who's not a believer. If you're not a believer here today, you need to believe in Jesus and experience that grace, that saving grace for the very first time. But if you're a believer here this morning, you've already entered into a covenant relationship with Jesus. You've professed with your mouth, confessed and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You're saved. So this is for you. That you may go about your ways. You may offer up the blemished offerings. You may not may not give the way Christ has told us to give. You may not live the way Christ has called us to live. But because God doesn't change, because His faithfulness stands forever, you are not consumed. And this is good, because as much as we change, we know that we couldn't, we couldn't sustain ourselves to the end. That's why we trust that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, that we are saved. And it's He who began a good work in you that will see it through to the day of completion. If He saved you, He will sustain you. But church, if you believe that you saved yourself through good works or some kind of self-profession, then you must sustain yourself to the end. But we know that we can't. But God can, does, and will. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. If you actually notice, a little side note, this almost didn't slip into the notes, but O children of Jacob is, is a rebuke because this is for the, the name, before the name transformation. So when you hear um, children of Jacob, he's reminding them of their past. And church, it's only when we reflect on the past. Sometimes we talk about dumping the past, right? Like just dump it, it doesn't matter. Reflect on the past so that you can have the hope set in Christ for the future. Your past isn't just gone, right? We know that we deal with it. Some of us deal with it more than others. Some of us have to go see, seek counselors, biblical counselors, and go through therapy because of some of the things that we've been through. It's not gone, but Christ tells us to lay it at the cross. 
And that's like with our sin we've talked about it, is, is you aren't just ditching it and saying, I know it's sin, but you're, you're confronting it now. And God says, I don't change. And because I don't change, you're not consumed. This should provoke us to faithfulness. Knowing the immutability, when we talk about doctrines, right? Like the doctrine of the immutability of God. When you hear doctrine, I, I get it. You might like, oh, well, uh, doctrine, I just need to know Jesus. Look, doctrine is, is teaching us about Jesus. Doctrine is pointing us closer to Jesus. Right? Any doctrine, any, anything you can study in the scriptures is not just simply a doctrine that, that uh, dead guys talk about and write books about that we like to read. No, it points us to the God of all creation and helps us to, to grow in our relationship with Him. So this doctrine of the immutability of God should provoke us to faithfulness because we understand that it doesn't rest in us. The covenant doesn't rest in us. Our salvation doesn't rest in us. It rests in the God who is faithful through and through and time and time again. But there's a big problem. Point number two. They have a big problem. And God's not simply saying, I'm faithful, do as you please. He's saying some things need to change. And they need to change now. What was going on? What's the problem that they have? They are not giving, they're withholding their tithes and offerings. If this is your first time here, um, whoever invited you, uh, plan this out. Right, that, that we, we as a church, 90% of the time, we're walking verse by verse through the Bible. If they invited you this week for the first time, uh, you can blame them. This is, next week, we know where we're going to be. We're going to be picking up in verse 13 and going through the end of chapter 3. So um, you can read ahead and, and you can invite people accordingly. Um, but don't come after me. I didn't invite you, but I'm the most thankful that you're here for sure. But we're going to be talking about money here. Why? Because the Bible deals with it. See, we've... we've We've kind of given into this culture of like, we don't talk about certain things, right? Particularly money. Money. And even though we don't talk a lot about money, money talks a lot about us. Money says a lot about us. We may not say much about money, but our money says a lot about us. Matthew 6, verse 21 you guys have heard this anytime you've been to a Baptist church talking about money. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a reason this verse is mentioned, and it shouldn't, we shouldn't become numb to it. Church, we can, if we pull out our bank, bank statements, and we pastors are not asking for your bank statements. Again, everybody's like on edge with tax season. Like, is the stimulus going like to keep me from getting a return or not? Like, do I have to pay that money back? No, you won't. Your children will. We... <laughs> I didn't know when I'd be able to talk about money and stimulus here at church. I've been waiting since like May, the second one I'll worry about next year. Church, we, if we're being honest with ourselves, we can pull out our bank statements and we can look at it privately and we can begin to reflect, not that all these things are bad, Chipotle, 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 Chipotle. My Chipotle order's gone up. I'm getting comfortable with the extra for guac. Gym membership. Gym membership. Oh, I went to a bar. I went, spent a lot of money at, at Giant Eagle. I went there hungry and I got a lot of extra groceries. And then we do our budgets, right? And we start the budget and we say, all right, this is my, my income. What do I pay? I pay my mortgage. I pay my cell phone bill. 
You've got some insurance, gas for travel, car insurance, utilities. Look, honey, we've got $1,000 left over. And if you all have been anything like me, my wife raised in church, she's like, it's cool, but where's the tithe? And I start to think, I'm like, you're right. And not only our tithe, but everywhere else we're spending money does not reflect the God who saved us and gave us everything that we have. And it began to become a deep conviction for me, so let me just speak this to you, church, from, from my own conviction, is that this has to become what it was in the Old Testament, the first of our fruits. Now, we don't care about what you give. Pastor Gary said, give a dollar every week and get in a rhythm. Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver, therefore pray that amount in your heart. But if Jesus did anything, he did not take away the, the old command of tithing. He raised the roof as he did with everything. You've heard it said that if you commit adultery, but I say to you, if you even think or have lustful intent, you've committed that sin. So we sit there and we say, well, Jesus raised the bar on this, but, but actually no, the New Testament, we don't even read about a tithe. And it's right because Jesus threw it out the roof. All the grace that we see through the life and the ministry and the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus should change our view of tithe to say, no, 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 we'll go above and beyond. And we want to make an argument about tithe. The Jews gave 23% between all of their, their tithes and their offerings, the food supplies for the storehouse, everything. And we're over here like, I'm going to budget it in last because I know that after my gym membership, my excessive Chipotle habits, uh, my cigar budget, my, my uh, friend budget, my, my this and that, whatever your interest might be, we can look at those statements and see that Jesus has not been, a made, been made a priority in our life. And we as a church, we'll tell you over and over, it's not about giving it all. But man, to not give anything, to not count it first, it shows and it reflects how we view the gospel the good news of our Lord and Savior who gave it all and gives us all. Verse 7. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. We see this in James chapter 4 that there's this, that, that God's saying, you return to me and I return to you. His people making that step back. And he's there. I think in Ezekiel, we also see that, that, that when we repent, that there's this relationship restored, that God is there. But you say, how shall we return? As, as if they don't think that they've gone astray. And sometimes we, we feel convicted when we hear the, the word preached and, and we leave and we're like, kind of like losing that conviction, like, that's actually not about me. I don't know. But don't write it off because God sees everything and he calls them out. How shall we return? Verse 8, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be plenty of food, that there may be food in my house. You know, all week I was writing withhold 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 
Like we're withholding from God. We're withholding from God. And if you notice what God's word says, it says, rob. It's not like we're not giving God what is ours, right? We're withholding what is already ours. It's we're robbing of him of what has always been his. Like we have this this messed up view as if we're giving God 10% of our money. We're giving God back 10% of what was already his and is his depending on, it doesn't matter whose account we leave it in. Just like God deserves glory whether or not we admit it or not. That's God's money, that's God's time, that's God's resource whether or not we ever give it up to him. So this offering, this sacrifice is a reflection of who we think he is. And what we believe he's done. Will you, will man rob God? He says, yet you are robbing me. And they say, how? Church, we, we do the same thing. Like, like, we're not having these conversations. We don't have these prophets, right? At this time that, that they had to be dealing with this, like almost just this, this direct discussion from God, this direct rebuke, like, how, how are we robbing you? He gives a very clear answer in your tithes and in your contributions. We're not withholding. We're simply not giving God what is His. And He's asked for that. And the crazy thing is, it's not like God's like, I really need your all's money, New Hill's money, because who's going to build this kingdom, heaven, for you guys? It's not like he's like waiting for the next deposit to go into the bank account where he's like, now I can make the streets gold. Like right now they're just silver until we get enough money. I've got a heaven building fund up here and I'm waiting for you all to give to it and give to it and give to it so that we can make this thing look beautiful. That's not what God's waiting for. Look at the, the, the things that, that the offering went to was, was feeding the priest caring for the ministry of the temple, caring for the needs of God's covenant people. And we see that here, right? Yes, a little bit goes to, to caring for our pastors and paying certain salaries that we have to, to make things run around here, to do jobs that God's called us to do. But in the grand scheme of things, it's all kingdom. It's all focused on building one another up through the preaching and proclamation of God's Word, through the gathering together, through the going out and being missional, through the caring for the inside of our family, right? We've got a thing called charity where we're doing things with the community, whether it be uh, supply drives or whether it be giving a certain percentage of all monies that come in back out to the community. But we also have benevolence where if you're in need and you have some kind of... um, thing you need at your house, like whether it be material, whether you didn't get paid for a week, and, and your family's struggling. We care for those needs. So it's not like when we talk about giving, it's like, how are we going to get this $200,000 light fixture up here? It's like, that's not it. And that's not, I'm not saying that you cannot have those things. Let me make it clear. I'm not saying that. It'd be really crazy if we did. What I'm saying is, is, is there's a problem here with how we spend our money, how we use our money, not just within our tithes and offerings, but it reflects who we see God, like how we see God. It reflects that in the way that we spend it, in the way we talk about it, in the way we don't talk about it. Like what if we, we change the perspective to say, I know I worked 80 hours this week, and I worked hard for that money, 
But God gave me that job, and God gave me that raise, and God gave me everything I had. Also, men, don't be complaining about working a bunch of hours when that was a command from the very beginning that we would work hard. I'm not saying be the breadwinner. I'm saying change your perspective on, on Jesus' command for your life to go out and to work hard and provide for your family. That's difficult, right? We can sit there in the middle of the week and be like, man, I wish like, I would have had birthing pain and she would have just had to like, work. And, like, I just wish like, this could be the command switch. But God has laid out his word for us. And he talks about money. He talks about the things that he's given us. And we should change our perspective and begin to talk about these things too. Because there's a promise. Point number three. There's a promise. Bring the full tithe, in verse 10, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now this promise is not always a here and now. It was directly a here and now for them. God is, this is the only spot where you will see God financially test, like say, test me. Test me financially and see what I do. I'm not saying go out and test that right now and be like, I'm going to give 400 to the church and get four grand tomorrow. It will not, I don't, I don't know. Don't test it. Because I'm saying that, that this is not a here and now, but our hope, our blessing, our reward has been set aside in heaven because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And by living faithfully, we can be assured of Him who saved us. Faithfulness is a sign, is a fruit of the salvation that changed your life. But he, he tells them, put me to the test. We unfortunately know that they didn't do that. We know. But he told them, do it. And see if I don't open up the floodgates for you. See if I don't rebuke the devourer for you. So that your fields would be good, your fruits would be great, your vine would be fine. The nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight. The outside world looks at us. They look at the way we spend money, the way we talk about money, the way we talk about faith, the way we talk about life, the way we talk about doctrine, the way we talk about everything. And the way you live can absolutely help put Jesus in the perspective for others. And had they done what God told them to do, the nations would have feared the God Yahweh again. Like you look and you see God conquering people for His people. Right? They were coming in to take over God's land and God's people. And he would push them back. And you would see, see people back down because they did not want to mess with the God of Israel. Why? Because the people were living faithfully in certain periods of time and people could see the goodness and the, the power of the Almighty God. So what does the world think about God based off the way we live our life? Again, Jesus didn't bring the roof down. He blew it out. He said, this is, this is what you've heard. But this is what I've done for you. I've freed you from the law. Having been freed, knowing that everything that we have is from God, should we not freely give? 
everything, like our life. Paul talks about that. We talk about this like every week. Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. That doesn't just say, hey, Lord, here I am, but here I am and everything I have in my hand, my wallet, my keys. I remember Pastor Will from our sending church in West Virginia. I, I said, hey, can I borrow your truck? And usually when you ask people to borrow your truck, you're asking to borrow them to help you lift things into their truck. And he threw me the keys and he said, have at it. And I said, wait, what? And he said, yes, you can have my truck. God gave it to me. You can go use it, bring it back. I'd appreciate it if you put a little bit of gas in it. But if you don't, it's all good. And I remember that like blowing my mind because he wasn't attached to these material things and saying, God's given it to me. And if you take off with it, I know where you are. We should be giving our life and everything within it and definitely not afraid to talk about it. Jesus raised the bar. And our life should reflect that. Our life should absolutely reflect the grace that has been shown to us through faithfulness. Grace does not cause us to do whatever. It should cause us to live according to God's word, to be holy as he is holy Matt and, and Michelle, if you all would, go ahead and come back up, or come up, assuming you weren't already up here. And what Christ has done is He has redeemed us by His blood, paid for our sin, so that we could once again commune with God. Now, if you don't know Jesus, you're separated from Him. You need to believe in Jesus. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is Lord, and you'll be saved. But if you've experienced this already, it's because of the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that you can commune and fellowship with God. And it's because of that fellowship with God that our actions and our life reflect Him and His nature. And we go out and we live joyful lives, facing persecution, knowing that in our suffering we are connected to Christ. And knowing that Christ is reflected through every move, every breath we make. 